Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Practice Drill Podcast. I'm joined today by Blaze McKee, my good mate. How are you? Good man, how are you? Not bad, ready for another week. If you would like to check out our articles, go to www.thepracticedrill.com.au. We post articles from Monday through the Thursday on all things NRL, AFL, cricket, basketball and rugby union. Also, go and chuck us a follow on both Instagram and Twitter at T underscore practice drill. Uh, We're posting pictures every day, keeping you updated on all the latest news in the sports I just listed today. We're talking about the Origin 2 team selections, the significant increase in NRL points. Are the Geelong Cats contenders or pretenders? for the AFL Premiership and the sensational wild series between the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA. So, Blaze, let's get right into it. Here we go. We'll start off with the Game 2 team selections. Obviously, it's uh, a lot to go through on the Queensland end, but we'll start off with New South Wales. Similar team selected, obviously, the uh, injury to Jake Travojevic has ruled him out. Angus Crichton's come in. Do you think he starts or comes off the bench for New South Wales? I think he'll probably go into the starting lineup for me. I think it's a pretty like-for-like replacement there, and I think they're really looking for a repeat of Game 1 and be looking for plenty of continuity in those combinations and see if they can get a similar result to uh, Game 1. Yeah, I think um, I've got him coming off the bench. I think... For New South Wales, they'll probably bring Junior Paulo onto starting lineup, like just a big body, just you know, try and because I think what Paulo adds is what New South Wales did really well in that game in in game one, which was you know just getting upfield as quickly as possible, quick play the balls, that type of stuff. Just using him as a batting ram, just straight through early, get him in there for 20 minutes, and then you can make those subs. And then I think that's when you start getting people like Crichton into the game. You can move maybe Sims into a bit of a front row role. Um, but again, once again, it's just like dream stuff for New South Wales. I mean, you knew this was going to happen if they won game one and then you bring Crichton into that team. They just become that much more dangerous. Yeah, I think winning game one, that's always the luxury you have. And especially when it was such a comprehensive win as it was in game one, you you get to pick basically the same team. And I think Queensland have to have to look at the, go back to the drawing board and make some changes where they probably didn't want to. Whereas New South Wales can just say, these guys did it in game one. Let's go out and do it in game two again. And do you think Freddie Fittler has a, um, a different game plan for this game like because if you play a, a fast new brand of rugby league like they did in game one do you think they go okay well Queensland are going to try and match that team now let's change something depending on who they select in their team I think I don't think the overall game plan will change I think generally game to game you'll have to change some little shapes and pictures that you throw at the opposition just to give them a bit of a different look but Overall, I don't think it has to change. And also, the, the way they set up, you know, they have so many threats that, you know, they don't have to change the overall game plan, but you can, with the different threats, it can still be a little bit different. You know, if Tommy doesn't have a big impact on game two, you've still got guys like Teddy and stuff that can come in and give it a different look, but hopefully have the same result. And it's kind of, it reminds me of um, 
of like that dominant Queensland team at the moment for New South Wales, where you've got players who are structurally sound. Like if you want to execute a game plan, Cleary's your man, Cook's your man, Tedesco's your man. But all those three players are so dangerous in broken play and like playing just through imagination and that type of stuff. So it's actually really scary. It doesn't really matter what Queensland throw at them. New South Wales should be able to counteract it or at least find a way to nullify whatever Queensland are throwing their way. If they're on the back foot, they'll find a way to get on the front foot, New South Wales. So um, I think we can both agree it's just all positives coming out of that camp. So it's going to be an interesting build-up this week. But for Queensland, some actually really good changes. I'm actually really happy with this team as a Queensland supporter. But the biggest one we posted about it on our Instagram this morning, the 18-year-old Reese Walsh into the Queensland team, starting at fullback. How crazy is that? Seven games into his NRL career. Seven games. I think, uh, you know, the old saying, if you're, if you're good enough, you're old enough. So <laughs> he'll, he'll be in there, and I think it really adds a, a different look to that Queensland team, maybe a bit more of an attacking threat yeah. from the back. And I think, you know, it's been a crazy rise. Somehow he wasn't starting for the Broncos at the start of the season. He's gone over to New Zealand and he's really set the competition alight the last seven weeks. Yeah, well, I think exactly what you said is that Reese Walsh brings that kind of energy that Queensland might be lacking, a bit of pace, a bit of, as we are talking about for New, uh, for New South Wales, that kind of, like, imagination, try and bring something out of nothing, like... Um, you know, I've seen a, uh, a few of his highlights this morning. I've watched most of his games, but I was watching some of the highlights this morning. And that kind of picking the ball up off, off the ground, like let's say from a knock-on, and he just little step, bang, just quick footwork just to get around it. And he's lightning fast, man. So again, another that, that's a positive for Queensland because again, in, in broken play, if Walsh gets his hands on the ball, New South Wales better watch out. Um, four other inclusions into the game two side for Queensland. Josh Papali'i, Andrew McCulloch, Molo, and Ben Hunt in. First game of the series for all of them. Obviously, Papali'i would have been in that Origin 1 side if it wasn't for that um, suspension. Do you think this is uh, good changes for Queensland? You're obviously a New South Wales fan, so are you worried by those five guys altogether coming in, or are you still really confident about what you've got? I think, you know, Papa Lee is a real big one for Queensland. He'll hopefully shore, their up, shore up their middle there and bring a bit more, bit more power and a bit more ball-carrying threat through the middle. For me, McCulloch's probably a bit of an interesting one. I probably would have gone Hunt, but having said that, you know, the Queensland hooker, Positions been kind of decimated the last few weeks with yeah. obviously uh, Grants and Mahoney out. Uh, not too sure about Molo. I think off the bench, you know, he's going to bring a lot of, hopefully a lot of speed and power for them. And, you know, those impact players off the bench are going to be really important. Well, you know, what, what you said about Molo, you know, that impact off the bench. Um, I was doing some research on him just before. Uh, He was Interchange Player of the Year in 2019. So obviously, he can bring a huge, significant impact off the bench for Queensland. And I also found out he spent two years out of the league. Now, anyone who spends that much time out of the the league and comes back has to be one of like the hungriest players ever. Like, you've got to be so determined. 
He's going to be given this opportunity, and I bet you he won't he won't miss. Like you get given this opportunity, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for him. If he doesn't play well, they won't pick him again because they know they have all these other guys they can bring in next year. Lindsey Collins, you know, um, players such as that. But um, I think he's going to rip and tear, as uh, as some would say. And uh, and look, as you said about about the hookers for Queensland. I don't think Andrew McCulloch is that bad of a pick. He's played Origin before. He's just a good um, structural player. Like, he'll just do his role, and then he'll play a majority of the game, then Ben Hunt will come and just slot into that nine spot, or they'll bring him in and play him at that lock like we like we thought they were going to do with Hunt in game one. So, um, personally, this is my take. I like this team more than the Origin 1 team. Like, it actually... I like Reese Walsh at fullback. It might be a risk, but I actually, I actually love the fact that they're taking a risk. You can't lose a game fifty to six, and just go, oh no, we played badly. Like it's on us. It's like no, like you got outplayed. You didn't play well, but you also just got completely outplayed. You need to make changes that may be risky in order to get the reward. And you know, I think. If you're going to de- debut Walsh, I was, I was hearing people saying, I wouldn't pick him for game two, I'd pick him for game three. But how much would that shake a rookie's confidence playing your origin debut in Sydney with all those New South Wales fans bagging him out as an 18-year-old and you're questioning yourself as the scoreboard ticks over going, oh, am I actually good enough to, to play? Game two is perfect. Brisbane is, you know... Queensland barely lose in Brisbane, you know, same as New South Wales and Sydney, but a little bit better for for Queensland. Um, So I think this is the perfect time to bring him in. I think you'll have a huge impact, Um, but it'll be interesting. I think at the moment when you see the team list, I think that's just a bit of speculating. Um, I'm sure Paul Green will be saying, yeah, he'll be signing a fullback, but I'm sure there still will be talks about Holmes playing fullback and they've got Mulatalo in the team to slot onto the wing. So, ah. yeah, like once again, so much going on for Queensland. Yeah, as always, it's going to be an interesting one, especially since it's the standalone game this week on a yeah. Sunday. A bit different than usual, but I think it'll be good, and I think... Hate it. It'll probably be a little closer than game one, I dare say. Yeah, I think it will be as well. What do you actually think about it being on Sunday? Because as I said, I hate it. I, I think don't it's mind. so bad. I don't mind. I think... I don't mind the origin at the end of the week, but I do think it's a bit weird to have it as its own... Just the one game. I think yeah. maybe if you want to have it on a weekend, you've got to do a bit more around it. Maybe get some other international games on or some other representative games on at the same time. Yeah, yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna do it on a Sunday by itself, have some rep have some rep games on the Friday and Saturday. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm shocked. I know they're doing all Wednesdays from next year onwards, so that's positive. Um, on to our next topic. God, the point scoring has been crazy this year in the NRL. We saw on the weekend the Melbourne Storm game. That was insane. That was insane. 66 to 16. And what were they up? 40 nil at halftime. God. Um, So currently in the NRL at the moment, we have 11 teams averaging over 20 points per game. It's the most in NRL history. A lot of people saying that there's a huge gap between the top five or six in the rest of the league. Do you think this is a counterpoint to that? 
Or do you still believe that there is a huge gap? I think I think both points can still work in unison. You know, there are more points in the league in general, but we've also seen the top four or five teams basically just blow everyone else out of the water, particularly yeah. the top two teams. Yeah. You know, we saw on the weekend Panthers put a big score on the on the Roosters. So those top two teams have really announced themselves and there's a big gap. Obviously every year there's probably the top four and then the rest, but I think this year's been a bit more pronounced than usual. Yeah, well, you know, the Melbourne Storm, nine games with 40-plus points. Panthers, five games with 40-plus points. They're obviously the two teams to beat in the league. But with the Storm having four more games with 40-plus points, does this still mean that they are the team to beat? I think... It's, I th- not, it's not just for Penrith. It is interesting because the Storm, they had a bit of a slow start to the season, and I think the Panthers have had quite a bit of hype, as they should. They've been undefeated for a long time. Had a lot of guys in the Origin Arena, so the Storm have probably flown under the radar. But as the stats show, there they've been putting scores on everyone, and and the weekend was pretty crazy. They were they were basically just scoring at will, going down the field and and putting points on the Tigers whenever they wanted. Yeah, they're they're ridiculous, but I think um, I think one thing that's helped them with this forty plus uh, nine games of forty plus points is their depth. Like you were saying last week when we were talking about Nico Hines, that next one up mentality. It doesn't matter who's our origin duty, um, you know, a- any type of you know, injuries. It's just next person up and they just fill that spot perfectly. So, I mean, I just think it's crazy. 60% of the Storm games, they put 40 points on someone. I've never, I've never seen anything like that. It's crazy enough to score 40 points a couple times a year, but to do it for 60% of your games, 15 rounds in, is you've got to tip your hat to them. M- many people doubted them when Cameron Smith retired, saying, I don't know if they can keep it up, and they've just shown everyone. So that's been really impressive, hasn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, it is, and it is a good thing to see more points. You know, I think the games, people like to see tries, but sometimes maybe from a neutral perspective, when the games are, you know, you see the Storm play the Tigers, the game's basically finished after 20 minutes. So that that can be a bit of a downside, but I think, on the other hand, you've got to appreciate the skill and, and what the Storm and Panthers are doing at the moment yeah. because they are playing pretty amazing footy and, and you know, they are putting... It is the NRL at the end of the day, so they are facing quality opposition and they're yeah. still managing to, to put big scores out there. We're talking about our quality... The Geelong Cats, onto our third topic of this podcast. Six straight wins for them after their after the siren kick from Gary Rowan to beat the Western Bulldogs. You know, I started off the podcast saying, are they contenders or pretenders? What do you think? I think for me they're contenders. You know, you look at the teams they beat, they beat some pretty good sides there in the Bulldogs, Port Adelaide, Collingwood and Richmond, but you look at their list, you know, their list is pretty stacked and when they get to the end of the year, you know, they're going to have a lot of players that are going to stand up and, and give them a good shot at the Premiership. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they've got three players inside the top 30 goal scorers in the league and they're one of only three teams doing so. I believe it's uh, Melbourne and West Coast, the other two teams. Um, I'm still on the fence. I, I feel like every year we talk about about them being a premiership contender. Obviously, they were in the grand final last year against Richmond, um, and you know they didn't perform on that day. You know, um, 
yeah, like I said, I feel every year people sit down and go, oh, how amazing are Geelong? They're so good. They're always a top four team. And, you know, Chris Scott, obviously a great coach to continue producing um, those results, but they just never get the job done. Last premiership, 2011, it's, uh, I've still got them as pretenders. Maybe at the end of the year I'll be, you know, eating my words, but at the moment I, I can't see them uh, win the premiership. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. You know, that's definitely going to be something they have to address. But one thing I think that's been improved this year is their ability to spread spread their scoring out. You know, in previous years, Hawkins has been their main man. And yeah. he probably still is their main man, but they've also now got Jeremy Cameron up yeah, there. Yeah, huge kicks, He's going to kick some goals. And Gary Rowan, you know, he's a big-time player. And yeah. Became, you know, the second player ever to kick, kick goals after the siren in two games. Previously did it for the Swans against the Bombers a while back. What I mean, a game. What a game. We were at it. Very good game at the SCG. So, you know, he, he's a big game player and he's someone that can take a bit of pressure off those those key forwards. I mean, I, I think Tom Hawkins is obviously an elite, elite forward, one of the best. Um, and Jeremy Cameron's up there as well. Like, they're, they're a formidable forward duo. Um and you're right, they do have plenty of players around the board, but they've had plenty of players for, for for a decade plus now. And, you know, their last premiership, 2011, After over the last 10 years, they've been very decent, and they, they don't have anything to show for it. Um, so I'm still going to be on the fence about it. I'm more leaning towards them just not winning it. I believe, you know, Richmond, who are, who are struggling at the moment, I still believe they have a better chance than Geelong because they they know what it takes and have done it more recently than, um, than Geelong. So um, it's interesting, though, because they don't have a single player inside the top 30 disposals. So for me, that that's actually a positive because it shows that they're, they're, they're giving the ball, they're sharing the ball around. It's not just going through one person you see with... You know, teams like, you know, you've got the Lions, Frio, where you've got, like, Lockie Neal for the Lions. He's always going to get his hands on the ball. Nat Fife is always going to get his hands on the ball. Everything starts from them. They have a good game. Uh, their, their teams are always within a chance. But for Geelong, you know, you can put two men on danger field and that just leaves, you know, Guthrie open or, you know, they're, they're so good rebounding outside of back with Tui. Um they've just got players who are able to get 25-plus disposals any night. Um, so, of course, there are always positives out of Geelong. I'm not saying they're a bad team. I'm just saying I've heard it so many times. Oh, we're going to, you know, they're a serious premiership contender. You know, it's going to be tough for teams to beat them. And it comes to the end of the year and teams beat them. So, um, yeah, still on the fence about that. Yeah, I think... You know, they'll probably go through that, that death by a thousand cuts method where they're attacking you from all sort of areas. And I yeah. think in the end, they'll be, they'll be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. And then it'll probably be up to a few of their big game players to really step up and get them over the line. How far do you actually reckon they'll go? Like, what's your prediction? For me, I'll have them in the grand final. Really? I don't know whether they'll win. Against know. who? I'll go Geelong. I'll go Geelong Bulldogs grand final. Woofed. I wouldn't mind saying that. I'd, I'd, yeah. That'd be a great grand final. Uh, I've I've got prelims. I don't think they'll make a pass of prelims. They'll run into. I reckon they'll run into either Richmond or Western Bulldogs in the prelims, and they'll lose to one of them. 
Yeah. I, did you ask who I have in the grand final? I probably got... I got Bulldogs and Tigers. I think that'll be crazy. Um, now, jumping overseas to America, the NBA. In my opinion, I just witnessed one of the greatest playoff series I've ever seen in the Milwaukee Bucks, Brooklyn Nets series. Absolutely wild. Went to a game seven. They couldn't even do it in regulation in a game seven. That's how tight this series was. Goes into overtime. Big buckets um, from KD the whole way through. Giannis, Middleton, Drew Holiday. But I think to send it to an overtime in Game 7, just the greatest way to end a series. And I feel like if you're going to label something as the you know, greatest series ever, you need those like tales and unbelievable stories. And I, I believe that's what it provided. What do you think of the series? I think it was pretty crazy. You know, overtime Game 7 is probably just about as close as you can get to a yeah. series. and. You know, I saw a bit on the internet, you know, KD was one shoe size off off sending him to the next round there with that three, or that close three at the end of regulation, foot just on the line, and in the end, it's a game of centimetres, you know, and they they couldn't get the job done at the end. Yeah, and I see, I was on the fence, I was talking to a mate yesterday about it, and I want to feel bad for Kevin Durant. But I just, like, I just can't. You know what I mean? Like, you know, he's won two championships. I'm an OKC fan from way back in the day. And I just, like, I just can't feel that empathy for him. I under, Like, he was unbelievable. He is a freak. You know, averaged 35 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists throughout the series. Um you know, most in points, second most in rebounds for the series. He was just unbelievable. But at the end of the day, I think injuries cost massively. You know, obviously, Harden out till game five. And then they had Kyrie, who went down midway through game four. Um, but you've got to admit, that's been the tale with a lot of teams during the playoffs. Just people getting injured all the time, don't you reckon? Yeah, I think... You know, LeBron spoke about it right at the start of the season. They had a really short turnaround from their last year, and we probably didn't see the effect of that during the season as much, but we have seen it a bit in the postseason. It is unfortunate. You want to see the best yeah. players out in the court all the time, but I think your point about sympathy towards KD, you know, the narrative against the, those super teams is always that you want to see them lose, and I think people love Giannis, people love the Bucks, and it was great to see them go through the next round. I, I think it was great to see um, Giannis play that well. I've been behind closed doors giving him a bit of slander for a few years, but I've actually got... Like, he was unbelievable in that series. 32 points, 13 rebounds, 4 assists was his average. Um, he's just matured a lot. Like, I, I remember this one play, this was a big reason why I was never a huge fan, is he dunked on top of... This one, I can't even remember who it was. And in the same game, the other guy dunks at him down the other end. And he decides to, like, basically have a sook about it. And I was thinking, like, mate, you just did it to him down the other end. Like, you, you just back to where you were. You dunked on him, he dunked on you. Let's just forget about it. He decided to carry on about it. But we haven't se- I haven't seen that from him this year. I've just seen Mature get the job done. Got to improve because they've been, I think they've been eliminated in the second round back to back years. So, you know, congrats to the Bucks and Giannis for finally making it through to the 
uh, Eastern Conference Finals. Um, do you think they've got what it takes to go the whole way now, win the championship? I think I think they do. I think a big sign was after the after the end of the game. There, you know, they looked really motivated. There wasn't it wasn't big celebrations. It was, yeah. you know, that job's done, and now we've got another job to do. So, I think that he's really really motivated and really prepared to to go deep into this final series and. I think they're going to provide a challenge to anyone they come up against. 100%. I think they're going to be really hard to stop. It'll probably come down to, again, like like the Bucks had in this series, luck. Or every, it doesn't matter what sport, rugby league, AFL, cricket, you know, basketball. It just comes down to getting those little bits of luck. And, and they had plenty of it during the series. The Nets had plenty of it as well. Um, but Kevin Durant, as I was saying before, was absolutely unbelievable in this series and to me it begs the question is Kevin Durant the greatest player in the NBA right now I think you know you said his stats earlier you know he's been pretty incredible this season his production has been pretty incredible but you know whether right rightly or wrongly there's always going to be that that caveat of the super team whenever it comes with KD and could could he do it on his own you know rightly or wrongly that's always going to be something that comes up in that KD conversation yeah, I, I think he had a crazy, crazy season. Obviously, he was an all-NBA snub, in my opinion. Like, he should have got in there. I don't know how he didn't. Um, but, you know, that's NBA. It's never... There's always some type of politics or something going on that we don't know about. Um, but, yeah, he, he was unbelievable. And in my opinion, I think... After watching that series, he is the best player in the NBA right now. There are players that can drop 40, like Dame, Luca, um, and, and you know, he dropped, what, 49 in Game 5, 48 in yesterday's Game 7. Um, so he's capable of just huge, huge tallies, but um, I just think everything else, the rebounding, the playmaking, one-on-ones, just... You know, dribble handoffs, anything he can just he just does it all. So, um, yeah, I I've got him as the best player in the NBA right now. But uh, that's a wrap, mate. Four huge topics this week. Got through it. Um, no rugby league this weekend. It's pretty sad for me, but plenty of AFL origin on Sunday, um, mate. Right now, what's your prediction for game two after seeing the two teams announced? Game two, I still think New South Wales are going to have too much. I think Queensland are definitely going to come out fired up, you know, after their game one performance, also playing at Suncorp. You know, they love it up there, and it's going to be a pretty raucous crowd, I imagine. But I still think New South Wales will have too much. I think it'll be a bit closer, but, yeah, I think 2-0 New South Wales. If I um, if I was putting money on it, of course, probably New South Wales. But I want to give Queensland... Um, some hope. I think, like I said back at the start, Reese Walsh joining the team, making his debut, I think it's going to be huge. I think he's going to have a blinder. Um, I think he's built for, for this level. Um, and just to have some good um, forwards back. And uh, and Ben Hunt, I said it in the, in the first podcast, he needed to be in that Origin 1 team and he wasn't. So um, I've got Queensland by two points. Two points. All right. It'll be a close one. Um, anyway, that's us for the third episode of the Practice Tour podcast. What's your plan for watching Origin as well? I don't know, probably do something similar to round one. It worked worked for game one, so 
do the same thing game two, I'd say. Yeah, all right, superstitious. All right, all right. So uh, check out all of our articles Monday through to Thursday on our website, www.thepracticedrill.com.au. And also make sure to follow us on both Instagram at Twitter and Twitter at T underscore practice drill. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. See ya.